Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for joining us, particularly as I know it's. Uh, I was just commenting. Uh, it's actually it's quite a sunny day day out there right now. So I know this is amp- this is the perfect time to go for your lunchtime walk and get your hour of exercise. Uh, so appreciate people spending some time with us today uh, between one and two. So uh, I'm Paul Church, Managing Director of Interquest. We're a tech data digital recruitment company. Um, this is our webinar slash podcast series, uh, People, Culture and Tech. We've been running these since July last year, covered all, all manner of topics. Um, the, the aim really every week is just to, for us all to come, come away um, from, the, from these conversations uh, with, with some sort of idea as to how, how to make our businesses just a little bit better. We've got over 700 members of our group now. We've had about 70, 70 to 80 join in the last week. So I really appreciate the, the likes, the shares, the comments, the, the attendance and getting involved in these as well. And we encourage those of you in the audience today just to, to ask as many questions as you like throughout. Um, if you pop your hand up, the virtual hand, as it were, pop a question in the box, and I'll be happy to ask it for you. So today, we're going to be talking about purpose and happiness, primarily for our workforce, really, because after the year we've all just had, a lot of things have changed for a lot of people in terms of our priorities, um, how we feel about how we spend our time, where we invest that time. And for most of us, we spend most of our time invested in a business, um, in the companies we work for. And so if, if priorities have changed, values have changed, and, and we've changed maybe in the last 12 months um, since the pandemic started, um, then our companies need to accept that. They need to maybe change themselves um, to make sure we're fulfilled enough to fully invest in their business. Today, we've got two, two speakers. Uh, Ro, I know you are a football fan. So you'll be pleased to know you have scored a hat-trick. This is your third uh, appearance on my on my webinar series, so appreciate that. But Ro, do you want to just give maybe a, a bit of an intro to yourself, um, what you're doing now, and who you are, and and, and uh, why you're here today? Hello, yes, um, uh, Paul, uh, and thank you for having me for a third time. I'm HR director at Benevolent um, AI. We're a tech company, headcount of uh, circa 300, based across London, Cambridge, and US. I've been here um, uh, for. T- just under 12 months, I uh, joined the organization on the day that Lockdown 1.0 was launched. So to this point, I've uh, I've never been uh, part of a fully officed workforce. We went remote pretty much the week before I joined. Away from work, I'm a mental health campaigner and uh, public speaker around uh, mental health, well-being. So obviously, you know, the topics of well-being within the workplace purpose uh, there's something about which um, I have a huge personal passion as well as uh, bringing into the workplace fantastic thanks Ro and I'm not sure if you saw from the chat box but you did get a whoop from Claire for the hat-trick scored there so uh, we'll, take, we'll, take, we'll take all the whoops we can so thank you thanks, very much Claire. Claire. Believe, believe me they're doing a lot better than my own football team at the moment having uh, <laughs> scoring three goals but the less said about that the better <laughs> and a whoop whoop from Patrick thanks Patrick cool um, so thanks Rob. so Abigail uh, first time on, on the webinar series so thanks for joining us today do you want to just give a quick intro to, to the audience as to who you are and kind of kind of what you do and why you're here as well sure so I work at Stella McCartney I'm the Chief People Officer um, I've been at Stella for 15 years actually a really long time but I started in a in a group function when Stella was part of Gucci Group so I've been supporting the brand from a group perspective for a number of years when the company was about 40 people and a 25 million in turnover. And now 15 years later, well, I've been fully dedicated to Stella since 2014. And we're around 750 people now globally. Um, We've got like 45 stores across the world directly operated. And we also operate like wholesale and e-com, obviously. We're a brand that is, I don't know how much you know about Stella McCartney, but we're a vegetarian company. 20 years old actually this year 
Um, so it started out with very kind of strong values, caring for animals, ensuring that no animals come to any harm in the making of the products. We don't use leather or fur or feathers. But obviously, sustainability has just become such a huge topic, um, a huge like necessity for the planet. So our brand has a really strong purpose, a really strong set of values. And so my role is basically been quite a dream role, really, for me personally, because I'm really into well-being and I really am into animal welfare as well. But also just because we care so much about the planet and, you know, the external environment, ensuring that we have people practices and a strategy for people that really reflects what we stand for was obviously critical, even more critical maybe than some other companies, sort of an obligation really. So yeah, I've done a lot of different things, which I think we'll dig into a little bit today. So that's why I'm here. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Abigail. So these are our two speakers. So we're going to kick things off. As I say, please, anyone who's got a question at any point or comment, just pop your hand up or uh, I'll put it in the chat and uh, we'll throw it over to you. The more interactive these things are, the better. Of course, I've got questions for days, but I'm absolutely happy to open it up to anyone who wants to ask one themselves. So Abigail, I'll, I'll go straight to you if that's all right. So I suppose um, in the last kind of 12 months, kind of being on the front line in terms of the people side of things at Stella McCartney and I suppose what you've seen and what you feel, how have you kind of seen the changes in people's priorities or you know, have you seen a change? And if so, what, what have they been really? I think there's been so many changes. It's hard to know where to start, really. As a business, obviously, you know, we've had to reinvent the ways that we do so many things, like many businesses, particularly because we're working with materials and products and people need to be together to do that often. So we've had to, like, rethink so many activities that we do. But I think for individuals, for people, you know, I guess we've all realised what really matters in life over these months and so priorities have entirely changed for individuals and so trying to come up with ways that we can support the multitude of like divergent needs that people have got whether it's you know homeschooling kids or caring for people that are vulnerable in your home or whatever it is we've had to really kind of rethink and reinvent everything in regard to our well-being offer and how we're we're caring for people and ensuring that they can you know come together. I think the beginning of the pandemic was all about productivity and the focus on making sure that people can you know, can come together and are being productive and are still working. And then very quickly we realised that actually we're overproductive maybe and people are not even managing to have lunch or go to the bathroom during the day. And so it really got to a point where again we had to stop and look at how we were enabling people to connect yeah I guess just really rethinking a lot of that kind of thing and how to build like resilience um around what people were going through mentally yeah absolutely makes sense I think you know for us last year we found it was really tough the first as a manager in the first two or three months trying to balance the the tightrope as it were of kind of looking after people's well-being but at the same time we were in a crisis we're in crisis mode yeah. so we're almost like we had to work harder than ever but then as you say people started working too hard and it's kind of pull people back so absolutely that resonates absolutely right what about you what, what have you seen i think um you know very much as uh, abigail said um paul it's it's so much about individual context but i think you know the one thing that we've had to constantly be aware of and i think which is showing itself more and more now as tedium builds in with the uh, circumstances that people people are facing is actually almost ensuring that we're looking at the individual needs of people. It's a real almost tension 
because we're telling people we need you to look after your well-being. We're empowering them to really take the steps that they need to ensure that they are not switched on 24-7, that they build boundaries even within this crazy context of doing it all in the same building. We're telling people, you know, here are the ideas for building boundaries between your home and your work within your four walls. But yet we're still telling them, okay, you need to be productive because here are the company's goals for the next 12 months. So there's a real tension between those two aspects. And one, you know, one hand you're saying, please make sure you switch off. On the other hand, you're saying, here are the targets that we still need to hit to ensure that we all have a job to come into in the long term. So I think, you know, the focus from our point of view as leaders is absolutely around well-being, but knowing that well-being will drive performance in terms of uh, the business. You don't have performance without well-being. And I think that's sometimes what leaders have to step back and understand because too many start with performance and then go to well-being instead of the other way around. You know, from our people perspective, I think, you know, if I look at our people again, they're crying out for that individual approach They want us to have solutions that we can tell them about collectively, but they want us to treat them as individuals because a parent's going to have very different needs, perhaps, to an IP student or an intern in a house share. Each of us have individual needs. And, you know, as a company, we need to be able to actually speak out to each individual in the organisation and say, "Okay, we understand the challenges that you're facing right now. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. And I've got I've got a follow-up question there, but I'll just go to Claire has got a somewhat unusual question for Abigail. So we're only 13 minutes in, so let's see which direction this takes in. But Claire, do you want to pop yourself off um, mute and ask a question? Hi, you hear me okay? We sure yeah. can. Usually people's response to me asking. I'm in a lot of your animal rightsy kind of groups, you know, veganism, all of this stuff. And um, I find that we often have a challenge that a lot of people seem to be very sensitive and do suffer a little bit more from a a lack of well-being for themselves personally. And I just wondered with your business and that focus on perhaps a particular type of person being employed there, have you found that that's been a bigger issue for individuals, that this has impacted them more than perhaps you're seeing from other areas within the business? You mean in terms of people that are really into animal rights? Yeah, but the, the the rights thing, I think, being, yes, that there's a, as I say, we, we, we've we identified that there, there does seem to be a lot more people who are maybe less strong in the well-being for themselves area. And I just wondered if you've noticed that because you, you do have quite a, a culture of that type of person who would be into the, the right side of things. Yeah, I guess what I, what when you are working for a company that, is working for the greater good of the world, then it is really hard to switch off. It's hard to switch off in any business if you live on the planet at the moment. So I realise that 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 is very, very common. But I haven't noticed it any more so. Like we do have a lot of people who obviously are vegetarian or vegan and really care about animal rights, that's for sure, and sustainability in the environment. But I, I don't know that I've noticed or maybe I haven't like spoken to enough people in other industries to see if there's actually any difference between how people are thinking about their own well-being. I don't know the answer to that. Sorry. That's, I, sorry, it was, I know it's a weird sort of off-the-cuff question. I just thought from a, a culture within the business 
you know, because they're also varied. Usually this is you do have one little route that people do all have the same the viewpoint on. So it was just interesting for me. So thank you. Thanks, Claire. OK, cool. So we'll um, just going back then. So I think, um, Ro, you mentioned something around people uh, wanting to understand what's happening collectively, but also be treated as individuals as well. So I think the thing when, when we've kind of covered in previous webinars on here, we've talked about culture and values and you can't be everything to everyone. It's, it's just not possible. So I suppose where do you start in terms of gauging the overall kind of happiness and well-being of your workforce? What tools do you use? I suppose that, that's, that's the first question, actually. Let's stop there. Yeah. And look, Paul, it's so easy for us to get into this mindset of thinking you need to be using all of the latest technology, that you need to be doing, you know, big engagement surveys, that you need to be um, accumulating a lot of very deep diving data. Yes, don't get me wrong, there's an absolute place for that kind of exercise. You know, we have uh, market-leading software, which will allow us to uh, measure engagement. But actually, the first piece comes from, and we've we've talked about this before, mate, in, uh, when we've t- spoken about well-being and mental health. It comes from being human, and it comes from relationship building. It comes from, you know, coaching our managers to be able to have open conversations with their direct reports. It comes from my team, our people partners, really being able to get into the business and even remotely, you know, building the types of relationship and trust, having open conversations, providing an environment in which our colleagues feel empowered and they feel able to be open and honest with us about the challenges that they're facing. If you can't do that, they're not going to be uh, honest to a piece of software either. So, you know, you've got to build relationships and trust. You've got to build open dialogue between leadership um, uh, down, and you need to empower people to build that from uh, the bottom upwards. It's, um, you know, it's not rocket science. It comes from building trust. It comes from doing what you say you're going to do. It comes from demonstrating that you're listening. We will ask people for suggestions. We will empower people to bring us ideas. And what we have to do is actually respect them enough to really be clear in terms of our comms and in terms of our employee engagement to say what we are going to do, but also sometimes to say why we're not going to do certain things because why we don't feel that it's necessarily suited to the organisation. So it's just about open, honest, transparency, relationship building. That's the first first key cog in really driving that kind of engagement gotcha makes sense what do you think abigail so for us we had uh, implemented a couple of systems um workplace by facebook which i know a lot of businesses have now and pecon which is an engagement survey so we implemented those probably about two and a half three years ago and we have been surveying people quite regularly like every three weeks with just a couple of questions um and of course pecon it's a brilliant tool. I don't know how many people know it, but it is obviously entirely anonymous and people are really telling us what they think. And we were able to ask, you know, through the pandemic, because people were already used to answering questions, we were able to ask very, very specific things about, you know, how they were feeling about the level of communication, the level of safety they felt, you know, how are they set up at home? Do they have enough equipment? And that has been honestly critical really because we also at the same time as I know a lot of businesses have also been through 
you know, had to downsize, had to rethink so many things. There's so many other factors going on from a business perspective that actually having this regular flow of continual like feeling and emotion, it's quite hard to read it some some of the time because you know, maybe we're not able to impact or affect or answer to every single comment. But the other great thing about PECON is it's it ultimately it's a management tools. You know, what Ro was just saying about building relationships is we were already, you know, empowering or asking our managers to go into the tool regularly, read the feedback, read the comments and, you know, bring up the themes and bring up, you know, the critical things that people wanted within their regular team meetings. So that was already kind of going on, which was extremely helpful in this last period. But also we've just been monitoring from a stats perspective and we have been monitoring just general engagement levels with workplace posts, with communications, with, you know, learning opportunities and and just really looking at how engaged people are. And it's been super helpful to understand what we can push at the right moment. And, you know, I think because of what we've been saying already, the fact that people have so many different kinds of needs, individual needs in this time more than ever. I mean, people already had very individual needs, but they've all kind of come to the surface during this time. It's like, how do you create a sort of cohesive narrative around all of these different things and make people feel like you really are listening to them and that you've heard them individually, even if, you know, you also have to offer things on a collective level? So we we have done quite a bit around our well-being offer and just how we're marketing it to the different people. So it feels more more individual and more like a an experience that they can choose which kind of areas of well-being they want to tap into. Have you upped the amount of time you're kind of pooling kind of how people are feeling, I suppose, in the last 12 months? You mentioned it, PECON, I think you said you're surveying every three weeks or so. Yeah. Um, is it, was it like that before or have you upped that since things have got how they are? It was actually like that before. In okay. fact, we said, we asked people, do you want us to still continue with this regularity? Because it's only a few questions. It's like two or three questions each time. So it's not a whole big process. And you don't have to answer. Obviously, it's up to you if you want to miss one and then you, you answer the next one in six weeks. And they people really did want to continue with that. But yeah, it's also interesting to see the trends, of course, over time of what people are saying according to the different context that's happening inside the company. And do you mind me asking what, what type of questions do you put out there every couple of weeks? Are they quite open-ended or yes? So you can put a score of zero to ten in the tool and then you can write comments. It's the comments that are obviously so valuable. But yeah, I think. It's been invaluable to us also to be able to raise things upwards, you know, to, the, to management, to have that kind of data. It's not just, oh, I think that people are, I, or I know that people are feeling this without any proof. You know, some of these subjects, I suppose, can be quite wishy-washy, even if there's so much evidence now that if people feel well, they're going to be more productive and, and you know, business is going to succeed more. Even if that evidence has been proven now, it's still not so easy always to get buy-in on certain things from management so that data for us has been also critical for that purpose gotcha makes sense um, i'll just pop over to a comment and a question in the chat box from from patrick so patrick has said so i feel like it's not only management's responsibility to, to ensure the happiness and well-being of the staff working in a team 
I make an effort to check in on my coworkers to make sure they're enjoying the work. Does this for you factor in on how you see people like me as contributors? An employee that boosts morale in addition to achieving their responsibilities, I feel is instrumental, especially during a long work from home stint such as this one. So just for me, Patrick, absolutely. I think, you know, we're all, who are, whatever we do, whoever we are, we're all in this together, aren't we? So I think we all have a responsibility to, to look after each other and ourselves. Uh, but let's throw to the, to the experts. So, Ro, what, what do you think? Look, I, I think Patrick's um, absolutely nailed that. And one of the things we've said constantly, um, we we constantly um, uh, talk about all being at our um, uh, all hands um, sessions, which is something that we've continued very importantly, more importantly than ever through lockdown. And we emphasise that our well-being is owned not by leadership. It's not owned by the employee engagement team. It's owned by our people. And exactly that, our people have take ownership of really, you know, driving relationships with colleagues of really kind of like looking out for each other. What we do as a team is facilitate and ensure that they have the tools to do that. So, uh, you know, one of the things we have is a partnership with uh, Mind. We have a wellbeing uh, toolkit on our people portal and intranet. And on that, we have a number of leaflets from Mind, which um, just give people the simple tools on how to have a conversation with a colleague who they think might be struggling or just things to look out for in themselves, in a colleague. Most of it comes down to uh, actually, again, being human, being a friend, just looking out for people. And that's the absolute starting point. However, what I would say, Patrick, is leadership need to set the tone of vulnerability in order for this to work. So, you know, it's absolutely critical that yes it's owned by everyone well-being is everyone's responsibility but actually it's leadership who set the tone set the role who role model vulnerability to you know actually come to an all hands and say you know what i'm finding this difficult right now so we know that you will be finding it difficult and here are the opportunities to speak to your colleagues and so on and so forth so you know management and leadership have a key role to play in creating the environment which encourages colleagues to take ownership and actually have those conversations on a regular basis yeah, absolutely, Ro. Um, I completely agree. And certainly last 12 months or so, I've certainly learned to show display vulnerability rather than just being uh, the, the recruitment robot I once was and certainly just telling my, you know, explaining how I feel to some of my team because then it allows them to feel comfortable to do the same thing. Well, what do you think, Abigail? Um, two things. The first thing, just based on what you just said, I think because for human resources people during this time, I, I've been in human resources for 22 years or so, but this year or the last... 12 months it's been so intense for so many people and and I think I've learned more than ever that just being yourself as a leader and and, and showing vulnerability is I, I sort of knew that logically and I'd you know done a lot of work in that area but I didn't really recognize it in its full entirety until this year because everybody was just going through so much and so there was you know so much uncertainty around that showing your vulnerability as a leader and setting that tone is, is really important, 100%. And I think, yeah, more and more, that's going to be the future um, and a critical skill, actually. You know, what, what used to be considered perhaps soft skills, I don't even like that word anymore. I feel like the soft skills are actually, they're these skills to have now as a leader and in the future, for sure. And then the second thing I wanted to say was like, yeah, at the beginning 
of the pandemic and the beginning of lockdown, it was all about productivity. But then I don't know when during the year, because it all feels a bit like a blur now, but probably around September time, we realized actually we've got to stop this focus on, on just the amount of productivity people are having and actually start to recognize people. And that's where I think that, you know, we'd lost our way a little bit. We were always really quite good at recognizing people and celebrating successes, but we sort of got a little bit lost in the productivity and um, fury. And yeah, to Patrick's point, I think we, well, now we've reestablished our, our recognition program, which is about, yeah, recognizing people, not just for a great job or, or a project that they've finished, you know, or, or the way that they've collaborated, but actually if they've helped out a colleague and they've done some random act of kindness, we recognize them. We recognize them on a global town hall. You know, we put a little piece about them, communicate about them on workplace and they win a little prize. So it's it's something that we do on a monthly basis now. We've been doing that pretty much since September. And that has been lovely because there's so much good work that's happening that, you know, needs to be raised up and, and showcased. And that's that's kind of the mode that we've moved into now, which I hope will, well, I'm sure will will continue. That's it. Thanks, Abigail. Thanks, Patrick. Great question. Uh, just, just final point on the vulnerability side. I think um, the, historically, the traditional leader doesn't show emotion, doesn't show how they're feeling, always kind of absolutely fine. And and it, and it goes, I suppose it goes against what you were saying, Ro, which is um, you've got to be human. That's not being human, is it? It's not authentic. So vulnerability absolutely is a strength. It's certainly not a weakness or displaying vulnerability anyway. So just moving forward. So my feeling is this, and it's just a feeling, so I've got no hard evidence for it. My feeling is that after the last year or so, people will be perhaps less motivated by money and financial gain than perhaps they were before. Now, it's not the 90s when it was all about money or whatever, uh, but I think that's slowly eroded over the years. But have you seen in the last 12 months, I suppose, that being less of a priority? And I know I know, you kind of probably review season and things like that, so uh, I can see you kind of laughing. But in general, would you say that or not? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I think based on some of the conversations I'm, I'm having this week, financial gains as important as ever. But I say that slightly mischievously because, yes, look, it's not total flippancy. The reality is reward still is seen as a currency by which people feel valued. Obviously, during this uh, performance review season, you know, I think most of us as HR leaders will be having those conversations and we'll be getting that sense of how important reward remains. But by no means is it perhaps the dominant currency in the conversation that it once has been. What do people want right now? People want to feel recognised and valued because recognition and value begins to drive security, which more than anything during this pandemic, and when we look at the economy around this, is a driving force for um, so many people. But then, of course, you know, you have all of the, uh, the aspects that we've spoken about. And what are the key things that, you know, we're, we're discussing in this conversation? People do want to work for a company which has a purpose and a vision to which they're aligned. People want to work for a company whose values align with their own. You know, that's so, so important. So, you know, at the end of the day, people are looking at 
vision. People are looking at purpose. People are looking at, does this company look after my well-being? Does it have the flexibility? Will it give me the option to work in the way that I want to, to fit work around my life as opposed to fitting life around work? And that perhaps probably leads to the seismic change that I think we're going to see evolve over this next couple of years as we come through the pandemic into what life looks like in the future is people are going to want to fit work into their life and not life into their work, which has been the way that so many have done it over so long. And I think that's what's going to change. So we're going to have to provide an environment for people in which work is a part of their life and not something which overpowers everything else. Absolutely. Abigail, what do you think? I couldn't really add anything onto that. I totally agree. Maybe just um, just building on the sense of purpose and meaning in a, in a brand that, that people do definitely want to have in their life much more than ever now is just that, yeah, that sense of belonging and how businesses are creating that sense of belonging through hiring diverse people and retaining people and like amplifying everybody's voice. You know, that is well, it should already have been for many years, um, businesses focused, um, but now it's critical that we can't not do that now. So, yeah, I think the sense of belonging and how you really do retain people and, you know, that's the thing now which, which businesses have to get right. And I'm not sure exactly what the ingredients are for creating that, but it's, it's a really important work right now. Yeah, it makes sense. And Abigail, something you said earlier on, um, I think Stella McCartney and Benevolent AI are both quite obviously good for the world companies. Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of people aspirationally who want to work for both of your brands, but not every good business is like that. I'm not saying businesses, they're, they're bad for the world, but not maybe as obviously good for the world. So if your business is not as obviously good for the world, to get to my question, how can how can a business take its workforce on their journey uh, and, and kind of provide that purpose? Would you What advice would you give? storytelling is critical because there's always you know unique selling points about every single company and and their purpose but it's also about getting really really crystal clear about what the purpose is whatever type of company it is whatever industry because I think still today even for us at Stella McCartney when we've got such strong values I think if you asked 100 people you probably get at least 50 different answers as to what our true purpose is. So having that really, really crystal clear, I think is step one, really, to making sure that people feel that sense of meaning in what in what they're doing. And then and then storytelling it. And you know, there are so many ways of telling stories. You don't have to be particularly humorous or anything. But yeah, the compelling vision part, once you've got that purpose really clear, is how you can get people on board and, and how you can continue that journey for people. It's reminded me there's a very good book called uh, How to Build a Story Brand, which is just about that. It's about taking your workforce on the on the journey. And I know my, my CEO's in this group and he, he's read that book as well, so he'll be smiling to that. Right, what do you think to that? I think storytelling for me, it's it's just kind of like reversing the dynamics of the, the storytelling and making it internal facing. So in the worst case scenario, what we'd normally find with our marketing is that the outward world is cynical of our branding. Is it kind of like, do they really deliver on that kind of piece. And actually, it's taking that and bringing it inside to make sure 
that our own internal workforce isn't cynical about our branding and that actually that what we say we do, who we say we are, is exactly what we're delivering. So storytelling from our customers back to our people is absolutely massive. And, it, you know, I've, I've been really fortunate to work for two companies prior to Benevolent who are just outstanding at doing this. My previous employer to where Benevolent was Receipt Bank. They're so good at getting their customers to be advocates for the brand and actually, you know, being able to tell back to, you know, our salespeople, to us as people, exactly what the impact of the product is on their families, on their life, on their business. That really fuels our purpose. It's not a CSR aspect, but actually we are still making people's lives better. That's a huge energy. And similarly at read.co.uk, everyone knows the Love Mondays um, slogan. But what we really wanted to understand was, okay, are what is what we're doing making a lot of people love Mondays anymore or is it just jargon and actually getting our customers to come in and tell stories about the positive impact on their Mondays again energy for our people so I think it's you know storytelling is absolutely at the heart of it you know every bit as uh, Abigail said thanks both I was going to pop that book I, I mentioned in the in the chat very good book on how to take your workforce on that journey Abigail so what sort of things are Stella McCartney doing to really kind of I suppose just go that little bit extra for it for its people and make sure they're happy and kind of getting that fulfillment and purpose. What are some of the things that Stella do? So I was talking earlier about being uh, sort of breaking down well-being into different areas because what we were finding was that people just didn't really. It's such a vast subject, and yeah, people want so many different things from it that we we broke it down. And the way that we market it now is in five different areas, which is sleep, eat, connect mind and move and within each of those areas we have different things happening so within move obviously it's more about um, exercise and yoga so we have online yoga sessions which is nothing new um, I'm sure for a lot of companies but we that's what people wanted in mind is where we focus on meditation and how to keep a tidy house I mean there's all sorts of subjects that go into these different areas connect is probably the one which we haven't done as much as we would have liked this year. But Connect is really about bringing people together across the company to connect with each other, but also connecting with our communities. So everybody wants to be able to give back, but actually finding the time or you know finding the way in which you can give back is sometimes a sort of obstacle to being able to give back. So we wanted to find, well, we made connections with schools or with universities or just different um, organizations charities in which people can take a day or a week or apply for you know an amount of time in which they can give back into the communities and that was becoming really popular um, before the pandemic um, and just we've sort of lost <laughs> we've lost the momentum a little bit because obviously the, there's just different challenges now with with being able to you know go and talk at schools for example which was one of the things that was actually really enjoyed by people yeah, then in Eat, we've got, we're a vegetarian company, so we share lots of vegan recipes and how to stay healthy. And then the power of sleep. So within sleep, we sent everyone that book, Why We Sleep. I don't know if anyone's read that, but it's absolutely phenomenal. And just reminding people within sleep how to sort of structure their days. I think Ro was saying that right at the beginning, how to help people to understand how to separate or some tools, how to separate your 
working life from your home life when you're doing everything in one place now and, and you're not you know you haven't got that commute and stuff so that way we've seen so much more engagement and people you know more and more are sort of veering towards one area or another and that's since we've broken it down like that it's just been really easy for people to to access the different things that are going on why we sleep fantastic book matthew walker um he's actually on the joe rogan podcast as well uh, when i first heard about him and he, he was uh, very very interesting and it's uh, it, the book is literally about why we sleep and there's not a huge amount of studies that actually got into that before him so he is the number one sleep scientist in the world so absolutely recommend that book and i think the connect element that really resonated with me when you shared with, that with me the first time we spoke i think um, mm. i can see a world where every business is doing something like that um, and i think people will expect that uh, when we come out of this, I think it, you know, that giving back is going to be so, so important. Yeah, I actually came across this one quick thing, this company, which I'm still investigating, but it's called Ethical Angel. Um, it is a platform, basically. I don't know, Ro, maybe you've heard of it? You're nodding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've, um, I've, I haven't I've, started working with them yet, but it looks incredible. And just basically people can connect to the platform and then find lots of different ways to give back. You know about that, do you, Ray? What have you you've been well, on it? Yeah, I mean, it's something that we've looked at and may well be something we uh, we look at in the future. But what they um, what they are doing seems so positive. I mean, we have our volunteering um, policy by which um, everyone in the uh, organisation gets um, three days per year of paid volunteering leave so that they can go and uh, give back. Again. It has been a challenge um, last year, uh, you know, as Abigail said, to, you know, for people to actually work out, well, actually, what does this, um, what does this look like? But we put together a programme called Benevolent Echo, which really gave our people, you know, across all three of our sites, New York, London, Cambridge, access to different charities, which they might go, uh, you know, charities, colleges that they might give their time to in terms of their volunteering. And really, again, really give managers the tools through which to remind their people of how important this volunteering time was. So, um, you know, from my point of view, yeah, Ethical Angel, you know, something that we've we've looked at and may well explore again. But at the moment, it's just something we've we've tried to amplify uh, internally. What we did do, um, actually, which is great, I've just seen some of the photos for the first time, was, again, we couldn't do the more traditional Christmas party this year. And in fact, that's probably a good thing. It's um, We spent the time a lot, lot more constructively and we, uh, we worked with a homeless charity and got different art sets sent to every employee and as small groups online for our Christmas party afternoon designed a whole heap of artwork which then got painted got sent back to the charity to paint onto bedheads for um, uh, to provide for children living in poverty so um, you know again that drove a real sense of purpose collective purpose within the group um, it might only have driven it initially for those few hours, but it then plants a seed of what do we do next? And, you know, it's something that we're already thinking of in terms of our next charity. Um, it looks as if we're, we're likely to be um, running from Cambridge to London to New York collectively as a company in, uh, in April. Again, doing things which are inclusive of the whole group. I think it's so important that when we're looking at volunteering, when we're looking at purpose, that the things that we do are inclusive of everyone in the company. Um, so actually, when I say running, we're not just running. We'll be running, walking, cycling. We're doing things which involve everyone in the organisation and are not just for a select few. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that's that's a really inspiring uh, way to use the Christmas time and Christmas budget. So that's that's uh, that's excellent. Um, I'm just going to pop- have a few cocktails as well, mind you. A few, a few cocktails. Well, you deserve them. You deserve <laughs> them. Well, I've just I've got a, another question from Patrick, which I think I just overlooked earlier. So uh, Patrick has asked, how does executive leadership give freedom to prioritise family life and trust that employees won't exploit the business's time? Good question again, Patrick. Right? What do you think? So, I mean, the first thing to actually give that time comes again from role modeling. You know, as leaders, yes, there are times when we do have to put in those extra hours. We do have to do things at times when we wouldn't expect our colleagues and reports to be working. But I think we constantly have to remind them of that element of our responsibility and why we have to be accountable for doing that and remind them that it's not expected. But yeah, role models. So again, from top down to bottom, if you are stepping away for an hour, hour and a half at lunch, and you can take a longer lunch if it means that you feel you can be more productive later, if it means that you can get some daylight at the moment, make sure that you highlight it with your Slack icon. So often my Slack icon will be a running man at lunchtime or uh, a walking man just to show people, you know what, I've, I've gone out and I'm not going to be responding straight away for a while. So number one, we role model it as leaders. The trust piece, I mean, look, Patrick, is a great question. It's a difficult one. That comes from constant engagement of managers with their reports, of understanding that, yes, we're giving you the freedom of course, to build your work around the demands of your life right now within the lockdown. But there are clear expectations in terms of what you need to deliver. And actually, we just need to be very honest with people if they're not delivering to understand what are the challenges, what are the blockers, how can we alleviate them, or actually do we need to just be a little bit firmer in our message well here's our flexibility but actually you still have a responsibility to deliver within that that's just a leadership conversation that you have to have absolutely i, I completely agree well i think uh, for me it's absolutely about management's responsibility to make sure people understand exactly what they need to do and, and when buy it and then how they do that they need to fit around their other stuff around that i suppose um abigail what, what do you think we've had actually quite a few teams during lockdown number one, um, but also people with global teams, obviously with different time zones and everything, when they're coming together in their next team meeting, we were asking them to set up rules, you know, just and that everybody kind of set agrees to. So we're not going to answer emails after 6pm, whatever time zone you're based in, you know, basic rules that as a team, that's what you're going to adhere to. And then, like you both said, being task driven. So if tasks are getting done, it doesn't matter whether you're working, you know, four hours one day and 10 hours the next day, if that's what you want to do. But it's task led, I think is, yeah, the most important thing. I guess the other thing that we've done, and that's been quite a long piece of work, I suppose, um, is, you know, in the past, business kind of documentation was always very focused on parent child. If you do this wrong, then there's going to be this action. Whereas we've kind of just eradicated all of that now. And we're speaking to people adult to adult. And we know know that 99% of people want to come to work and do a good job and are trustworthy and all of the rest. And just when you do have that 1% of person or people that are not playing by the rules, then you deal with that 1% of people as opposed to focusing the whole thing on like, these are the rules. And if you do it wrong, this is what's going to happen to you, which just feels much, much more 
about trust and autonomy and empowering people. And I think that's worked. And yeah, it's probably been a a mindset shift over a couple of years, but we sort of changed all of that documentation about two or three years ago. Fantastic. Thanks, Abigail. Got a few more questions in here, so I'm going to get to these. Um, so Neil, um, who's sound cut out, so I'll ask, I will ask the question for you, Neil. Neil's question was about how do we get the next generation coming into business to think differently about work, especially as current approaches being taught like GCSEs are very old-fashioned. Mm. What do you think, Abigail? I don't know. For me, from what I see on interviewing people and just how I see the different generations across our business, like interacting and working together, I think that actually it's the new generations that are teaching us and that we have to shift our mindset and our way of thinking in order to make sure that they feel happy and and, you know belong um, at work and we've already had to do so much change in in that respect and and you know younger generations are speaking out more they are you know telling us what they what they think without us even asking so I think it's about that really it's just being able to have the feedback loops and the ways of listening and being able to take action on that. Perfect. And what what do you think, Ro? I couldn't have paraphrased it any better. Uh, I think, you know, from my point of view, I think the younger generations are, they're already demonstrating they have a different approach to career. You know, that's evolved over a long period of time. But, you know, the way that they build, you know, perhaps in shorter, sharper stints to learn skills early in, in their career, as opposed to, you know, the approach perhaps when uh, some of us came into work of actually one, two, three employers throughout um, the lifespan of um, of your in- entire journey. I think they're already teaching us that actually the way that we work in um, in the future is going to be very different. Absolutely. Thanks, Ro. And then Jenny Cobb has asked, um, I'm really interested in what was mentioned about individuals holding their employers or prospective employers to account when it comes to providing flexibility and well-being support. Do you think this might eventually become a legal requirement for companies? What do you think, Ro? So let me start with the latter of those. Let, let me start with well-being support. I think it would be an absolutely amazing thing if it did. I, I would love us to be in a situation where companies legally have a requirement to provide certain elements of support um, within their wellbeing package, whether that be making sure there's at least one trained mental health first aider on site, making sure people have access via an intranet to certain things or, you know, EAPs, whatever it be. Obviously, it needs to be affordable solutions, which are scalable. If it's going to be a legal requirement, it needs to be something that's scalable from a one-man sole trader all the way through to um, a large multinational. However, the concept of holding people accountable for having certain resources for its people, I couldn't be more excited about, you know, that happening in the future. In terms of providing flexibility, look, there are already frameworks in place legally in terms of how we need to treat flexible working requests. However, as we come out of the pandemic, I think we're going to understand more about how it's shaped the way we work. There are always going to be jobs which can be done flexibly, and there are always going to be those which have less leeway for that flexibility. And I think, you know, again, what the framework looks like for that may be slightly more complex. However, I do think we will get to, you know, a place where employers have learned through this last 12 months that there is more flexibility than perhaps we thought in the past. 
Am I right to think, though, that, that, that I suppose in terms of any kind of legal side to it, the flexibility side, at the moment, everyone's got the right to request flexibility, mm. but it doesn't mean they're actually, you know, they're not entitled to it. Is that how it is right that, now? That would be a fairly good, although obviously we need to, as an employer, I would need to provide a very valid reason as to why we couldn't offer it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I think as we come out of this, um, whatever happens, uh, thanks, Ken. Ken has to run. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. I think whatever happens legally, I think businesses that come out of this and don't offer that flexibility are going to lose people. If someone comes back and says, right, five days a week back in the office, it's, it's just not going to happen. People are going to adapt and move on. Yeah, uh, Abigail, we'll, we'll, that's something sorry, we've, already, we've already said within our internal people team meetings is, actually, I can't imagine a place in which any of us will be in the office more than two, three days a week moving forward beyond this. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Abigail, anything to add on that one? Um, I mean, just the fact that I can't remember which um, organisations that monitor these things, but like something like 52% of jobs are no longer going to exist as we know them today in the future. Legislation for sure is going to have to catch up with flexibility, you know, and and wellbeing too. I think it is, you know, there's so much evidence now and and the massive power shift from brand-led, you know, um, narrative to consumer-led also extends to employees, you know, employees are speaking up across the world in different organizations, calling organizations or leaders out. And so the reputation um, of brands has become like so much more in the public eye than ever before in the last few years. And that's going to happen more and more. And that's good because it will help to make things a better world, essentially. Perfect. Thanks, Abigail. So just before I wrap up, so Claire's made a comment there. It's a good, good point, actually, Claire, because I've not actually thought about it like this, but we have a global generation of children who have now learned flexibility now by experiencing homeschooling on a global stage. So we're preparing that generation for flexibility, aren't we, in some ways? But just I'm conscious of time, so we're nearly at two o'clock. So I suppose just, just to wrap things up, I'll ask a question to each of uh, the speakers. So Abigail, if there's kind of if you're involved in you know processes or culture in a business and or, or, or your team and you're, and you're at a point where perhaps you haven't really had purpose and happiness as top of your priority list for your people, but you want to start and that's what you want to put your focus on. What, what advice would you give? Where should someone start and what should be the, the one bit of advice you'd give? As a leader. As a leader, yes. Sorry, as a leader. I think that it goes back to the point of vulnerability. I think that as a leader, if you're starting from scratch or if you're starting from you know the middle or wherever you're starting from if you're going to share something you've got to look at where you're at right now be very very honest you know acknowledge perhaps things that haven't been going as well or that people have requested that haven't been able to be done and be vulnerable about it and kind of begin there and and like scope out the future with your team I think that's step one perfect thanks there we go and, and Ro same question to you vulnerability it really really is it's role modeling vulnerability i did an interview uh, recently for um the happy employee podcast and it was one of the things that you know we spoke about at length there as a leader if i'm going to expect my own team and my own people to actually be absolutely honest with me in terms of what we're doing well as an organization and what we need to improve I also need to demonstrate that same level of uh, openness and vulnerability with uh, with them. So for me, that is the key single biggest skill for a leader as our workplace evolves. Fantastic. Well, look, that brings us bang on to two o'clock. So, Ro, Abigail, I know how busy you are, so thanks so much for spending an hour with us and giving us so many outcomes and tangibles to take away. Uh, been really, really useful, and I hope our audience enjoyed it. So, so thank you both for being a part of it. Thank Pleasure. you. It's been really enjoyable. 
Uh, thanks, everybody, for attending. Next week, we're going to be focusing uh, again on, on, on well-being specifically and how to kind of look after ourselves and our workforce. So do choose to tune in next week. If you've enjoyed today, do pop a little comment on LinkedIn just to mention us, um, drive more people to it. Apart from that, hope everyone has a good day, good rest of the week, and thanks again for being a part of it. Thanks a lot. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Cheers, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.